This is SciBite, episode 88, for April 2nd, 2013. And welcome to SciBite, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science news and information podcast. Live Tuesday nights over at jblive.tv and fresh Wednesday mornings over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Hey, Heather. Happy science to you. Happy science. Okay, Heather. So what are we talking about today? Today, we're going to take a look at stomach microbe changes, a new type of tiny supernova, tracking a swarm of bugs, spacecraft and story updates, curiosity news, and as always, take a peek back in history and up in the sky this week. Whoa, whoa, we better get going because that sounds like a big show and I don't want to get fined for going over. We have to put up a sign if we get too big, so we better kick off the news. What is our first story today? Alrighty, there have been past studies that have actually shown uh, people and rats that some, there's some sort of natural mix of microbes in the intestines that change after gastric bypass surgery. Ah. Now, with some groups of these microbes that grow more prominent than others. Now, before now, no one knew whether the altered microbial composition, we don't really know whether it's a side effect or whether it's shifting uh, bacterial problems could actually help people lose weight on its own. So these f- researchers, you know, had a couple groups of mice. They fanned up some, then they performed little mousy bypass surgery on some, and on the others did some, you know, a surgery, quote unquote, but it was really doing nothing. So they performed this uh, Rowan Y. Uh, it's, mo- it's the common type of gastric bypass, which diverts food around most of the stomach. So you kind of have a, they kind of staple off a small part of the stomach, bring it in straight to like the last half of the small intestine. And so it's really changing, you know, it's altering the whole internal intestinal environment. So that switches up the pH and all these different uh, concentrations. Now the mice in the little bypass group lost about 29% of their body weight within three weeks. Before they even started losing weight, their intestinal bacteria started changing. Ah. Now, of course, and compared to the group of mice that had the sham surgery, as they called it, it was very different as well. It was they had more of certain types of microbes. So this now, is so one of the things you know that I, my doctors talked to me about, and probably other mm-hmm. people too, is you know microbes do play an important role in. In digestion, but I guess is yes. is is the part that I'm getting here is that when they would do this bypass surgery, it changes the conditions, so di- the different types of bacteria thrive and die. Is that what happens? Yes, exactly. It sort okay. of reorganizes the whole structure of how many and what is there. Now, the changes of the microbes themselves are what they're looking into and saying, what does just that provide? Because they were able to take this group of mice that had, you know, the uh, bypass surgery. So they had these new, you know, bacterial and microbe, you know, little environment there in their stomach. So they took that out and they 
gave it to these little germ-free mice, you know, that had nothing to do with anything. And those mice started losing weight. Mm-hmm. Now, these were like trimmed up, perfectly happy little run-of-the-mill mice, and they lost about 5% of their body weight. And they had started off lean and mean. So what they're looking is, and then they took the bacteria from the stomachs of these mice, the mice that had not had the actual gastric bypass surgery. Uh And when they put those into mice, they actually put on a little bit of weight. So what they're looking is that by colonizing with just that bacteria with the, that you can get about 20% as much body loss, uh, weight loss than if you would underwent the surgery. So without the surgery, you can get 20% of the way there with just the microbes. So now they're trying to figure out exactly how they trigger these changes. There are some that that go against um, inflammation and they're kind mm. of there that changes metabolism. It seems like this would be something they'd almost wish they could put in a pill and sell. Yeah, well, that's kind of where they're trying to figure out to go. And plus the way this test was, the study was put out, the, like I saw some things that were like, well, if you had the mice eating a higher, you know, maybe higher sugar, higher, high fat diet beforehand, then give them the microbes and give them a little bit of exercise and see what happens or just the microbes. You know, well, so that, that you're be, more accurately. I mean, this is the hippie in me, but wouldn't that be the question? Wouldn't it? W- isn't the real question, what can I do to encourage the different types of bacteria? Wouldn't that be the awesome study? Not how do we productize it, but how do we determine what just through diet a person could do to encourage the different types of bacteria? And is that possible? And if it is possible, what types of food are more likely to harm that bacteria? And I wonder if it'd be like, are maybe sugary foods more likely to harm that bacteria? Things like that. That would be really fascinating, I think. Because honestly, if I knew that maybe I might I might be able to encourage a certain type of healthy bacteria that in general enables me to lose weight. I'd, I'd eat that. I'd eat that diet. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the kind of thing is they're trying to figure out exactly what bacteria and what they are doing. It's like, are the bacteria doing something? Are some of their byproducts doing something? And in fact, it was really odd. They were saying that the patients that had had um, after surgery that Type 2 diabetes started vanishing much faster than would have happened just by the weight loss. Hmm. So it was just like they're thinking maybe this change in the microbial, you know, soup of their stomach started changing, you know, how things were going about maybe helping type 2 diabetes. And the people saying, you know, they were craving foods like salad that they never wanted before. It's so interesting, Cobalt in the uh, in the live chat room. So Sidebytes live on Tuesdays over at jblive.tv. And uh, you can check our calendar over at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for a time. And he's mentioning that, uh, you know, antibiotics have uh, have caused, or in his case, penicillin here. But I had an mm-hmm. issue. Um, I had a, a couple of years ago, I had a really bad like stomach problem that was kicked mm-hmm. off by a series of uh, antibiotic treatments that then led to... Uh, like a whole series of stomach problems for like a year that I didn't even, you know, it was just, I didn't even know was going to happen. Uh, so it, it, I knew when that happened to me that there's obviously a very, you know, interesting balance happening there that uh, oh, yes. that I was a little oblivious to until that point. 
oh no, I had a severe stomach infection essentially happen when I was in high school. And I was on powerful uh, antibiotics for a little while. It was like, well, we sort of have to kill your stomach to get it back to life. So this is not going to feel well. And then you'll have to deal with, you know, getting everything back to normal later. Oh my gosh, a stomach infection? Yeah, that, that must was have fine. been awful. But what they're trying to see here is, all right, well, in that case, so then all my you know, stomach bacteria is essentially gone. Mm. So that's what the same thing with the mice. But what happens if, you know, you're well or I'm sort of well now? What happens if you put those microbes in the stomach? Does it do the same thing? So that is the other, that's the other step that they're trying to make. Yeah. Is what exactly is doing it so they can concentrate and see how is it doing it? And then perhaps how we can use that in the future. You know, can we have food or pills or something? Right. Now, you know, there's, and it opens up the door quite a bit because there are a lot of people who either can't or don't want to go under such a major surgery. Yeah, for sure. I would never want to do something like that. I would try to avoid that as much as possible. Yeah. And so this kind of opens up another avenue that, no, it is not necessarily 100%, you know, the same weight loss or similar weight loss, but at, you know, they were saying 20%. If you can get 20% or a third of the way there just by this, it will help you kind of give you a, a boost to really kickstart that going. Well, and I think it's an encouraging uh, sort of, uh, you know, appreciation that uh, a healthy digestive system is is not just like what you eat, but also there's an entire ecology there that you have to understand and appreciate. And anything that kind of brings us, yeah, you know, discussing that more, thinking of that more, thinking in terms of that more is going to lead to hopefully uh, healthier digestive systems. I was just, I was just, you know, I can't remember what the stat was, but uh, uh, digestive, digestion, digestion related illnesses in the United States have been exploding, uh, in the last 10 years. Uh, this mm -hmm. is what I found out when I was having problems. And, uh, you know, this is a big step, I think, in that direction of really getting our hands around this because getting, understanding this, this balance was what helped me get better. And it's yeah. fascinating now to think that, wow, there's even maybe certain types of bacteria that could uh, help you digest fatty foods or whatever it was better. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, there, I mean, there are very specific ones that they know are, you know, on the lining of the small intestine when that help store calories or speed up metabolism. Right. And so can we see which of those um, can do that? There are some that do change the concentrations of certain short chain fatty acids. Well, and let's You've be got all these different little things going on. I mean, on. let's be honest. I think SMB uh, FLA in the chat room is onto something here. If they really dialed this in and got it safe, you'd have, you'd have the probiotic in the grocery store aisle that would have a little, little star on it that says now with bacteria killing fat or, or fat killing bacteria or whatever, you know, like it would be like, it'd become like this stamp on the side of a box. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe. Or maybe it could yeah. actually be used like in certain. So, I mean, maybe you could have something where it'd be used in sort of a product like that for consumers. But you could also maybe have something like this used at the hospital level for like serious higher level doctor administered concentra concentrations and stuff to really help somebody with a weight loss regime that's in a really bad place. So this could be and, 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 and possibly avoiding that surgery altogether or at least uh, helping reduce the need for that surgery. Yeah. Or 
you know, and all of this together and what can you do to complement surgeries or to sort of, you know, combat against something that's going on if mm. you have a treatment that is going to, you know, there's certain types of medical treatment that sort of end up having you put on the weight a little bit or, you mm. know, uh, if you're waiting for a dialysis or any, something like that where you may have some sort of retention or that might cause a weight loss, pro- uh, weight problem, so then maybe this can go with it and it is oh. a safer alternative that may not interact with other drugs. Absolutely. Oh, that's another good point, isn't it? That's I hadn't even considered that. Is there's that whole uh, when it's not when it's not uh, there's that whole interaction problem that probably wouldn't really be an issue. Hmm. Yeah, you know, it's like, are you on some sort of chronic medication? Yeah. Now let's find something that is okay with. Yeah. Going with that, well, stomach bug pill number three would be happy with that. Interesting stuff, and of course, uh, Heather has uh, a rather. Um, educational and non, non-gruesome video about ga- uh, gastric bypass surgery linked in the show notes, as well as information about these microbes and a few of the studies, like three or four different links here, Heather. Three ones. Let's look at this yeah. stuff. You got so much great yeah, stuff I, in there. I searched for a video that wasn't scary. Yeah, it was good. I like that. I didn't uh, get queasy watching that. Yeah, I had to find one. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's take a moment here, right here, right now, because Heather and I are both really excited about something. We've talked about the first one. We've talked about... The second one. Now we're talking about the third one. And yes, friends, Star Trek The Next Generation Season 3 on Blu-ray will be released at the end of April. And we'd like to suggest that if you're going to pre-order this, which this is the one that has the best of both worlds at the end, okay? And they're doing some special stuff in the Blu-ray for that. So let's just say you need to... In fact, they are so proud of the best of the both worlds, just the best of the both worlds in this this season three, that they're releasing that as a separate purchase, if you want. That's right. (laughs) So I am so excited about season three. This is really when TNG got good. And everybody... And you know, there's a lot of reasons. They got new writers... A, a ton of new writers, but they also got new lighting people, people that really knew their stuff that came into the third season. So the third season is going to look amazing on Blu-rays. One and two have been great, so we'll have a link to this in the show notes. If you use that, if you click that link in our show notes, we will get a cut from the purchase. Not a lot, but it's a little something. It's a way to help us while you're getting yourself something. And by the way, if you're over at jupiterbroadcasting.com, just check those links at the bottom of the show notes there. All of those links, we have them down there for Amazon and Audible and Newegg and ThinkGeek, which ThinkGeek had some great uh, April Fool's this year. Uh, all oh. those links are there, and if you click those before you shop, they uh, support the show. Are and you going to get that? If you want to see what Chris's little happy face looked like <laughs> right there as he was talking about it, you too should get it and then like put a little mirror up next to the television. Yeah. And when you're that get to that part and your face is all happy, that's kind of what Chris's face looks I, like. I mean, you know, I would, I am, I, Star Trek's very important to me and I would be the first person that would be out here telling you if those first two seasons weren't good, I would be, I would be very much vocal. I'd be very vocal about that. Not he only was very sad face. Yeah. Not only were they good, they gave me goosebumps the first time I saw the oh, ship. Oh, they were beautiful. Oh, I mean, yeah. So season three, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And if you guys uh, grab that, you'll help support the uh, network afford running all of the wonderful shows that we have for you great folks out there. All right, Heather, let's move on to the news bite. Bump a da bump. I feel like it needs a little extra bump a da bump. So sometimes I'm just yeah, going to throw sometimes. that in there. Yeah, yeah, okay. not always. All right, what are we talking about in the news bite? All right. Until now, Supernova have come in two main versions. Okay. All right. So you've got these huge stars, yeah. 10, 100 times bigger than the sun, 
they collapse in on themselves. Big kaboom, stellar explosion. Then there is another type, type 1A, which is when there is a binary star. There's this big, fluffy, uh, what they call a parent star. Okay. And there's a little white dwarf. And all it, the white dwarf is eating up the outside of the larger star. Yeah. And so eventually enough material falls into it that the core temperature of the little one is hot enough. It ignites, creates a fusion reaction, kablooey, big stellar explosion. Mm. Now they've actually found a third type that is fainter and less energetic. Okay. Similar to that last one that I talked about. It's called the 1AX. <laughs> the one, so we had the 1A, and now we have the 1AX. <laughs> yes. I like it is this. essentially a mini supernova, about one hundredth as bright as the others. Oh, okay. So just a dim, so, little dim one. Yeah. So we've collect, the data we've collected so far suggests that, as I said, it comes from a binary star system, a white dwarf and a companion star. Um, but in this case, it looks like the companion star is already lost some of its surf, uh, some of the certain gases in it. Okay. The uh, hydrogen. So site. it's like at a different stage so, or whatever? Yeah, it's at a different stage of the star. It's an so older it's star helium. or whatever. Yeah. So then helium accumulates onto the white dwarf. Now, they're not absolutely sure what the heck is going on. So one idea of why it would ignite would be that the outer layer of helium from the companion star, actually sort of a shockwave slams into the white dwarf, disrupts it, then it explodes. Or the white dwarf might actually ignite first if the density and the pressure from all the helium shell compresses it in such a way that it'll actually force the carbon or oxygen or maybe even the helium itself to fuse. <laughs> then that triggers an explosion. They only have like 25 of these examples. Now, they have found 25, but there's only so many examples to look at right now. So they found 25 of these, and this is the first time we're kind of hearing about it in the general public? (laughs) That's something. Well, it's kind of funny. It's because they were so faint. It's not Ah. that we haven't seen them before. It's We've probably seen them. It's just that they're only releasing between 1% and 50% of the energy of similar ones so we're trying to look at what exactly is going on Hmm. and it's it's like uh it's like uh when you think you got the supernova figured out yeah just when you think it's got uh, it out up pops the uh the uh, dimmer uh more sneaky suit it's a sneaky supernova (laughs) they are but because they're so dim now we're being able to say oh wait no luck here they are and they're thinking that, I don't know, that roughly a third of these 1A supernovas, that you know, for every 100 of those, you'll maybe get 30 type 1AX. So they're only roughly a third as rare, or they only happen a third as often. Hmm. So it's not like they're really rare. It's just because that they're so small. It's just that Harder we're finally see. now right. locating, and they're like, oh. We're just now getting the skills. Hmm, let's go find data in the data. Right. Now they're going back and they're looking at everything else to say, all right, if we get enough of a data set now, we'll be able to kind of get a better idea of what exactly is going on. 
exciting stuff. Heather, uh, I have. Uh, oh, oh, excuse me. Excuse. Me. Oh, yeah, go ahead, guys. Go ahead. The band's here, Heather. They okay. uh, they want to. Uh, okay, go ahead, guys. Start it off. Time for the two byte news, Heather. All right. guys all right thank yeah, you very much job. all right see they uh see this this has been working out i give them a little bit of food and they, they just perform like champs so what are we talking about all righty the magic cicada magic cicada <laughs> okay i'm probably saying that really wrong is this something gross do not play the video oh okay because i was just looking at it and it looks really gross okay, right, okay. i will signify all right. If you are creeped by bugs, don't click the video. All right. So I shouldn't show it on the so, stream? Uh, you can, but okay. make sure everyone, if you're freaked out by bugs, that cover up warning. the video part of the screen for just a minute. Oh, we should have played it before we said something and then pretended like it was an accident. Okay, I have no, the No, I, I must keep the trust of the science people okay, and not right. scar them from science for <gasps> it, life. Oh, my gosh. It lives in a hole in the ground. Oh, my gosh. Yes. These cicadas, they live underground. So they live there for 17 years. Then they emerge and there's these like... 17 years. Yeah. There's these certain kinds. They're 17 year cycle and then there's some that are 13 year cycle. <laughs> the ones that are coming this year, seven every 17 years they swarm. So they live on the fluids of tree roots. Oh my gosh. The US. So they're going to be above ground for like a few weeks and that's it. Now why they have this specific life cycle, no one really knows. It is a question mark. Whether it's to fool predators, because who's going to remember what happened 17 years ago? But there is this... Um, They're so the, gross. They uh, they yes. almost look like they have eyes on the back of their body. <gasps> oh my gosh, he's breaking out of his skin and it's disgusting. Oh, I, I'm, okay, <laughs> after this I'll turn it off because we'll probably get a takedown. But that is so gross. That's one of the grossest things about nature right there. Um, yeah. So for those of you who are listening to the audio version of this, Heather has this also linked in the show notes if you'd like to... Watch the beauty of nothing. <laughs> oh my gosh, look how gross that thing so, is. But anyone who lives in the Northeast U.S. is going, is probably knows about this. And mm, God, they're so going gross. to be living it fairly soon. There's going to be a swarm traveling up the East Coast in mid-April. Now, they're actually uh, oh tracking. There is a magiccicada.org. They actually have, you know, tracking maps. But there's another uh, podcast, uh, Radio Lab. That is doing a tracker. That's you go onto their website and you can, you know, it's essentially all you need is a thermometer for the ground. Put it six inches under, and they emerge when the temperature is at as precise degrees. So you can kind of watch and see this is when. Oh, so if you know your area is so you prone to having them. Yeah, so you can measure the temperature and go online and say, all right, my, the temperature of my soil is sixty-four degrees. This is going to happen. And you can sort of where? see. A map of all these different people who are the triggering east coast, in. The East Coast will turn squishy and crunchy. The return of the 17-year, uh, how did you say it, Heather? Cicadias? Cicada. Cicada. Magic cicada. Wow. That's disgusting. So, if you are there and you participate in tracking or you use it to help hide undercover or take out a giant um, Sherlock Holmes-style magnifying glass and go chase after bugs feel free to share your story feel free um we will try not to be scarred for life and if you have a three-year-old he's probably gonna love it or she probably would maybe absolutely, I, well depends on i suppose it does depend 
But that's yes. pretty. Uh, that's that was pretty gnarly. And and they break out of the shell like that. The ones that are going to be on the east coast. Do they? Uh, yeah. Wow. So and they emerge when it's like the steady temperature of sixty four degrees Fahrenheit. So all these different maps will be sort of tracking where the soil temperature is in these different areas. So you Did can you see, see anything like on the as it Im- comes as the temperature comes up, you're like, oh. Here they come. Did you see you anything the on the impact supplies. of like the crops or like did they, did they, did you see anything like in terms of like how they affect uh, stock? And- it's, it's not so much that the swarm is coming. They, these 17 year swarms and 13 year swarms, there's a whole bunch of different groups of them. It's not like okay. nothing has happened between now and the last 17 ah, years. Okay. Okay. So they kind of come every year, every other year or so. Yeah, because otherwise it almost seems like an alien race that's just landed on our planet and like hibernates and then comes out every 17 years and then goes back to sleep and doesn't seem like they're bugs at all. So now, yeah. okay, all right. So the specific thing that brought thought for this was interesting is the the tracking is there, you know, going online and you sort of crowdsourcing data to say, you too can help track when the bugs are coming. And those of us who are far, far away can can watch it and those people who are in the middle of it can decide whether they will be hiding for cover or going out, as I said, Sherlock Holmes style, checking things out. Well, uh, SciBite at JupiterBroadcasting.com, if you were one of those adventurous people, we'd love to see, well, we would see it. <laughs> yes. We would share. We would share in our scardom. Yeah, we would share. Bugs yeah, are exactly. cool, especially yeah. when I'm looking at them and, <laughs> and that rate of number is not around me. Yeah, from a distance, it's much it better. It's much way. better from a distance. Much better. Yes. It's kind of like spiders. I can tolerate them a little more at a distance. But, Heather, speaking of the email address, yes. we've actually got a little bit of viewer feedback. And uh, this week, um, I'm, I have, I have, ru- I have, there's been rumor that I should be looking forward to it for a particular reason. Yes. Uh, Scott Killen, uh, I believe I said your name wrong. From our <laughs> northern neighbor. I, I'm going to take that. I'm just going to start from now. I'm just going to start saying, I, and I believe I got that wrong. And I'm just going to roll with it. I'm, I'm taking that, Heather. That's great. There you go. Roll with it. <laughs> so he sent in an email, kind of worried about the fact that, you know, saying, hey, there was Enterprise, but at least it has a television show with a spaceship. Hmm. There was something. Hmm. Because now, you know, NASA's not putting up the space shuttle. And oh, what yeah. are people really looking at to kind of get... You know, all hyped up about it. And right. last year, NASA put together a PSA. Uh, and uh, I'll let you play a clip from that right now. And then I will tell you more afterwards. Are the explorers. Throughout our history, we have taken both small steps and giant leaps in that pursuit. Our next destination awaits. We don't know what new discoveries lie ahead. But this is the very reason we must go. Cybertron. That Optimus is, Prime. they got Optimus Prime to Peter Cullen. to uh, to narrate a, uh, a a NASA PSA video that is is it? Uh, it's called "We Are the Explorers," right? Yes. Okay. Now the new thing is is that there was a um, Indiegogo thing going on that's there was a private group that said, we want to make a 30-second spot. And we're going to put it as a trailer before the new Star Trek movie. Yeah, I heard about this. This is awesome. Yes, uh, exactly. Uh, Blue Phoenix was talking about, just said this in the uh, mm-hmm. in the chat room. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is the whole point. NASA itself cannot pay for this kind of a, a commercial or anything like that. Oh, Not in this specific way. I see. So this is a, you know, a, 
private funded thing where everyone, the Aerospace Industries Association of Americas. So they're using this to, you know, they were hoping to do, you know, one theater in every state. And they have definitely got there far beyond it. So now they're looking at to say every bit of money over that, they're going to keep trying to buy up essentially more theaters. Oh, very good. Because you have to buy every specific theater. Right. So they're trying to expand. And actually earlier today, I saw that they're actually hooking up with the Challenger Center for Space Education, which is the um, Challenger Space Center that has, you know, it's the kind of thing where it's aimed directly for kids and really reaching out to the public interest and teaching kids about it. You go in and, you know, there's a little mock-up of a mission control and a little mock-up of a, you know, a space station or something. And you you go through, you know, and lets kids kind of really get a live, live action role-playing and see <laughs> going through of what it is, you know, kind of reliving that kind of a moment. So the fact that they're going to have, you know, this, and the reason I did that is the the specific commercial is they're taking from that PSA. It's about two and a half minutes. They, they released that last year. And so now they're kind of compressing it into a 30 oh, second okay. spot. Is this the one they be, have on the GoGo page? Is that the, is that the compressed version or is the one you linked the compressed version? Uh, the one I linked is the full version. Oh, I'm yeah. okay. not entirely sure that they have released the compressed version. Oh yeah, yet. you're right. It isn't the compressed yet. It's the full two minute one on their GoGo yeah. on the Indiegogo. So this is great. So they've 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 raised forty three thousand. Their goal was thirty three thousand. They yep. got twenty nine days left. Heather's got a link to that in the show notes. And so the goal basically the goal is the more money they make, the more lo- more likely you'll see it in a theater near you, essentially. Yes. Okay. Very much so is that they'll be able to purchase up more theaters, but if you happen to be at a theater when you go see the new Star Trek movie and you actually get to see the commercial, you definitely tweet me or send in an email. You can tweet me at JB underscore Mars underscore base. Tell me you saw that because yeah. that will be cool. Yeah. Are you going to go see it in the theater? Uh, probably not. I don't go to the theaters much. But it's Star Trek, Heather. Yes, I know. It's a new Star Trek movie. Are you gonna go see I don't go to the theater either, but it's a new Star Trek movie, Heather. Going to know something right. really, really okay. sad. What? If I knew the theater was going to show the PSA, you might go. You might go. <laughs> I might be more likely. <laughs> That's right. I, mean, I can understand not going to the theater. I'm not a big fan either. But for some things, I just have to go because I want to see it as soon as possible. Like yeah. Star Trek. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, should we move on to some updates? Because I believe we've got a few of those uh, stories that have leveled up. We do. We've talked about it before. Uh, Fossil feather color. I forgot to put the uh, link in the show notes. I will try oh, to yeah. do that. I remember that, where they've determined what maybe the original color was through some sort of science mumbo jumbo. Science mumbo jumbo, more specifically <laughs> looking at the structure of the cells themselves oh. and saying the structure of this cell appears this you know in this specific format, which means it's going to be this color. Now they're going through and they're saying, well... What we saw before may not exactly be what we think because the fossilization process in of itself can change those colors. Oh, of course. So now we're looking, you know, these, there's tiny granules of pigment melanin and those features, they call them melasomes. I know I said that wrong, but they're preserved (laughs) in... These fossil, a lot of these fossil feathers. Okay. And by the size and the shape, you can sort of back calculate the original color of these feathers. That's amazing. Now, 
they really had had no idea whether they would survive the fossilization process intact. But now they've actually done some experiments that show they aren't really the same before and after fossilization. Okay. So they've what they essentially recreated the fossilization process in obviously a more uh, shorter time period and then observed yeah. altercations. They simulate it with you know, high pressure temperatures that would sort of fast track it, ah. you know, found deep underneath the Earth's surface. So then they, you know, they laid it out. They had feathers of different colors from different species. And the geometry of all of those melosomes changed in, every, in the experiment. Okay. So now what they're doing is saying, okay, well, let's look at this. And do they all change in the same way? And do the changes look differently? Right. You know, essentially, is it a cipher? Are they predictable what the changes might be? So then you could basically create a, like a, a formula. So if you see yeah. X changes, then you just reverse essentially out of that. Yeah. You translate or you use a, you know, using a different, essentially a different language or use a cipher and say, okay, well, this actually ends up being red. And, um, uh, Blue Phoenix in the chat says, you know, a lot of dinosaurs had feathers. So exactly, that's similar. You have these birds or you have these dinosaurs or all these various creatures that had these feathers. And you can kind of see now, you know, starting to be able to kind of guess what the colors were even. Now we're seeing, okay, well, maybe they weren't exactly what we thought, but we can still make a good guess. And hopefully based on these new experiments, get a more ac- even more accurate representation of what these colors are of feathers from 65 million years ago. Well, you know what's fascinating when you see these pictures is uh, in some ways it reminds me a lot of uh, when you see like black and white footage that's been colorized or mm-hmm. or something like that where you you can almost you can almost sense that maybe something's not absolutely 100%. yeah, do you, do you get that when you see those pictures? Do you see that a little bit? Like sometimes uh, like that the one I'm thinking of is that of that bug that they oh, have, yeah. they have the picture of there of that. Uh, I don't know what kind of bug that. Is, some sort of bug that's. Well, it's I'm actually sure, cooler uh, looking than the ones. Like? You, yeah, <laughs> but it's you know it, like it just. I don't know. Maybe that is what it looks like, but I wouldn't be too surprised if it's not slightly off. Maybe. Well, yeah. I mean, we're making best guesses here. Yeah. But I mean, considering that we're really guessing. Right. Well, and it's still interesting to just add kind of a splash of color and it almost brings yes. sort of more realism to it. Yes. And the fact, I think so many original things were looking at the brighter colors when it came out going, oh, some of these feathers were actually you know, brightly colored or that's very different from that we thought it would be. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Very cool, Heather. I like that stuff. Thanks for the update on that. It's always great to get the updates. You know, yes. A lot of the stuff on the mainstream, they just put it out there, Heather. And then they just, they, they read off the headline and they never follow up. One Bad days. I know. One of the things I love about the Cybi program is you get those updates. But speaking of uh, updates, we got some, uh, oh, look at that. Cybi 2000 tells me it's a spacecraft update. We do. Woo-hoo. The space station making a trip up to there. You have to go over to Russia, <laughs> hitchhike on the Russian space, uh, you know, the Soyuz capsule. Now in the past, oddly enough, Harley realizes it's like... A two-day trip. I heard about this, yeah. Yes, it is, you know, 34 orbits, two days just to get from Earth to space station. So it's not just, you know, you head up. Before now, it's taking a little over two days. Now, this brand new one only took five hours. Yeah, so they they took like a different route, basically? Is that where they launched from a different location? 
Is that what uh, it was? They launched in a different way. Okay. Now, they've had resupply vehicles that have been using this same- Okay. Fat, what they call the fast track trajectory. Yeah. Now, they launch it. Essentially, the space station passes just overhead, and then they launch. So, they're trying to reduce the number of orbits. Hmm. That's pretty clever. And adding, you know, adding additional firings in the thrusters early in the mission. So you had a little bit extra um, rocket firings. You aimed just at a slightly different angle and a slightly different time. And they're able to go from two days to five hours. That's a, that's a fantastic improvement. Yes. And I imagine that sitting in a capsule for five hours is probably a little bit more comfortable than two days. Well, and that's just the beginning of it. It's got to be way cheaper, less fuel and all that, right? Less well, yeah. food you need, less everything. Less, I mean, you're going to be... Less poop to put in bags. I mean, everything... You're going to be using slightly more fuel to get to orbit. I'm okay. skipping right over the fact okay, you're that right. you tried to talk there. You're... That's okay. <laughs> it's just a little bit of science, Heather. <laughs> it, it's okay. Sci- science is there. But... So it's just kind of interesting okay, they yeah, were be- able to use this fast track. They're being more aggressive, so they okay, so maybe not saving fuel, but they are at least spending less time and all that. Yes. That's really awesome. Huh. I like that, Heather. Maybe... So is that something you're going to keep doing, or is that just a one-time test? Uh, I believe there's something that they're going to probably trying to do in, from here on out. Huh. It's kind of hard to say. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. So while we're up in space, should we head over to a Curiosity update? Let's go. And lift off of the Atlas V with Curiosity. Touchdown confirmed. We're safe on Mars. So I thought we weren't going to have anything to talk about because the sun's cutting off communications, and there was going to be no updates, no science happening. Yeah, that's pretty much the update. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> is that, yeah, we're heading into our quiet time. It's sort of a uh, a big, the big curiosity moment for this month. I'll probably mention him in passing so people don't forget about poor curiosity. And there may be some science that comes in. The Both the curiosity rover little old opportunity that's still chugging along and the orbiter they're all still going to be doing some science mainly sort of self-diagnostics and it's worth plugging you have a very cool nasa video in the show notes that it very very brilliantly demonstrates what the problem is so if you have a little one or if you're curious yourself like i was it has a great visualization we showed it last week but you can find a link to it in the show notes that explains why we can't really talk to the rovers right now Yep, and it's only going to happen once every 26 months or so. Oh. And each each of these times it happens it happens a little bit differently how, you know, the moon, I'm sorry, Mars and the sun and us line up. But for now, they'll kind of be going down control. Curiosity will be from April 4th to May 1st. Uh, Opportunity rover from the 9th to the 26th. And the orbiter from the 4th until the 1st. So everyone's going to be kind of low-key on Mars. We've like I said, we might get some data in, but hmm. it's going to be fairly low-key unless the scientists find something from the data as they're able to sort of catch up on their homework, should it be, you know, I should say, right. you know, or so to say. Right. So something may come out of that or something may actually kind of come in that's interesting. But as of right now, April's kind of a cool your jets month for uh, for poor curiosity. Very well, Heather. Very well. Okay. Well, then uh, step on over, get uh, put down the microphone, and let's jump in the time machine, and then we'll pick okay. things up. Are you ready? Here we go. All right, here oh, we go. Wait, that wasn't the microphone. Jeez. You You're trying to shoot us? <clears throat> no, that was the side. There we go. Oh, there it goes. Okay. <laughs> side by 2000. It's a little confused. That's 
Okay. There we go. Okay, here we go. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that the side by 2000 vacuum computer kicked in just at the right moment yes. to bring us 75 years ago. A good thing you put in ago. these new seatbelts. Well, see, I, I thought I might be having a little bit of issues the other day when it took us to the future on accident. Uh, okay. This week, though, it took us to 75 years ago, April 6, 1938. What was going on this week in science, Heather? DuPont researcher Joy F. Plunkett and his technician Jack Reebok accidentally discovered polytetrafluoroethylene, also known as Teflon. Uh, Teflon, yeah, sure. Yes. So they're researching these chemical reactions of gas uh, perfluoroethylenes in order to synthesize new types of refrigerant gases. So they had these cylinders and they're doing research. And they got one cylinder and they got no pressure out of it. Hmm. Like, great. Obviously, something happened to it, leaked out, but they went to weigh it. And it weighed the same amount as a full tank. So, I mean, think of it. It may be supposedly, quote unquote, gas. I think when you have, uh, you know, some propane for your gas grill or something. Picking up an empty one is lighter than picking up oh, a full yeah. one. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I am actually always kind of stricken by, stricken by that because it's like, gosh, for gas, this sure is heavy. But it's, I guess it's a liquid gas, isn't it? Yeah, but even so, I mean, even just gas itself, there is something there. Yeah, oh, yeah. Especially if they, you know, liquidized it. But <laughs> so when they waited, it's still the same. So like, okay, what is going on? So as per great science, they sawed it open to figure out what was going on inside. Nice. So then inside they found slippery white powder. Found it. Hey, it's a great lubricant in its powder form, chemically inert. It has, you know, it doesn't really interact with much. It has a high melting point. And there goes Teflon because wow. <laughs> it just sort of a happenstance. So like, what the heck? This cylinder is broken. And now it's in our kitchens everywhere. Yes. I just think that was because somebody tried to figure out why there was no gas coming out of a cylinder. So they cracked it open. And thank goodness for curiosity. You know, this time, you know, the actual thought of what's inside there? What is it doing? Just makes you think. Every now and then you just got to saw something open, don't you? Yep. All right. Now let me double check with the side by 2000, but I believe, oh, here we go. It's time to look up into the sky this week, isn't it, Heather? That is right. This week, fairly low key of what's going on up there. We've got about Saturn, about 30 minutes after twilight. It's going to be rising in the east to southeast. Also in that area is going to be the star Spica to the high upper right of that. Um, and Jupiter is going to be hanging out this week still. He is rising in the after sunset. You're going to actually be seeing him high in the west. It's sort of dipping down to the horizon as the night goes on. To the much lower left, still hanging out around there, is the orange star Aldebaran. And look to the lower right. You're going to see possibly a little fuzz of stars all ticked together, and that is the Pleiades star cluster. Mm, cool. That's a good little one. Yeah. <clears throat> See, not so boring after all. Nope. All right, Heather. Well, I believe that brings us to the end of the show, doesn't it? I think so. All right. Well, don't forget, you can uh, catch up with Heather throughout the week or show her, uh, send her uh, show links if there's something awesome you see in on the web, science-related. Just uh, tweet it to JB underscore Mars underscore base on the Twitter. And uh, Heather will grab that. And don't forget also that SciBite is live Tuesdays at 7.30 p.m. Pacific, 10.30 Eastern over at jblive.tv. And you can email us, SciBite, at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Heather, thanks for the great show. 
Thank you. And thank you to our chat room for joining us live. And thank you, everyone, for downloading this week's episode. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>